0: Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozo.smtx.com. Well, I'm really honored to get to be the one communicating on Father's Day today around here. Um, We've just come through two weeks of uh, Joel and Lauren, our, our pastors, being on their sabbatical, and so we've had some, some folks come along. We had uh, John and Suzanne Wallace two weeks ago, and then we had the Stewarts come last week, and it's really been a fountain of help, and um, when John and Suzanne were <clears throat> teaching two weeks ago in here, they were talking about progeny and what's the legacy that's coming behind you and I really thought the perspective was so unique, you know, um, an old-aged Martin guitar, <clears throat> as we were told. And I really kind of want to pick up a little bit this morning. Um, it's Father's Day, so there's a little bit of obvious nature to that. What they were talking about, though, and, and give maybe some perspective from, from a dad who's, who's right in the middle of the raising of, of, of boys, of progeny. Um, of those that are coming. And somebody had a, a word this morning in, in the prayer time that we were doing and, and said, your lega- not for me, but for us, for the people of God, your legacy is set. You don't have to strive for your legacy. God's doing that. And as part of the family, that's a byproduct is that you leave a trail, you leave a track that's followable and really helpful. I... When they, when they teach you homiletics and preaching and how to do it, a lot of times they'll say, preach out of your weakness, it's more applicable, and there's a lot of merit to that. I wanna to speak to you today, and this, I, I promise you, is, is no arrogant statement. I wanna to preach to you today out of what I believe is my strength because of the father experience that I've experienced on this planet. My, my dad is here today. And so is my mom. And they're in Colorado. <laughs> Normally, they are, especially him, because mom has responsibilities earlier in the morning at her church. But my dad is an avid watcher of the live stream around here. And so oftentimes we'll talk in the afternoon and pick up on what took place during church. And and hey, were you okay when you fell over like a tree? <laughs> I also have my father-in-law here today, David, and his wife, and he has been in my life for 23 years, filling the role of a father. And as my own dad moved away to Colorado, um, David, I see him almost every weekend or every other weekend, and I have four boys. That's a litany, that's a lot of children to get to take what I have been imparted and learned, and say, okay, here's the baton that I have been given, and I'm passing it along. And I just feel so ahead of the curve, maybe. I knew if, <laughs> I, knew if I did this, I'd get myself in trouble. <laughs> but, man, my, my dad never missed a single practice I had, let alone a game, you know? And um, it's just a source of strength for me today to talk about The gift of fatherhood and how needed and how powerful and how helpful it is. And the reason it is is because it's how God wants to relate to us. He created this world and he put you and me in it with these incredible plans. And he said, this is the best way this can work is if you aren't just creatures, but that you're children of a father and you interact with me all your days in that relationship, And if you do, you're gonna win and you're gonna transform everything you come around and you're gonna be fulfilled. And I realize that the obvious tension today is that not everybody has that story. Not everybody has a source of strength when it comes to fatherhood. And what I wanna say to you today is that the story's not over and that today on Father's Day can be a day when relationship changes for you no matter where you came from when it comes to your dad. So, so there's the introduction, and we're through the hard part, I think. A.W. <laughs> um, Tozier is a father of the faith, and many of us um, have heard and have been helped by one of the things he said when he said that what you believe about God is the most important thing about you, because what you believe is, is the direction you head. And so that makes a lot of sense. That's been an anchor for for many of us. Um, The Bible tells us that we were created by God and for God. And when we think about all the different possibilities that there are to view God as, it's a myriad of things. Um, It's possible that, oh man, what a guy you turned out to be, Mike. Thank you. Uh, You might view God, some might view God as some cosmic force right? He's, he's the initiator of why we're here, sure. And, um, but he's probably so distant that he's more of this light and energy force that really probably can't be known. Well, that's a view of God that many people kind of adopt. And if that's the most important thing about that person, then that's probably trouble for that person. Some people say, oh, no, I think that he's probably more of a caricature." He's probably more like an old grandpa who doesn't move as, quite as well as he used to. And probably his font on his phone is so large you can see it across the room. And, um, you know, he, he can't run a podcast or Spotify, but he probably has a Werther's original in his pocket. And, you know, we just all love him. And that's God for you. That could be a belief about God. Maybe somebody's belief could be that he's a divine scorekeeper and he's keeping track of all the makes and all the misses in life. And uh, at the end of the day, you're probably going to have to answer for some of your misses. You know, some people have a view of God that way. Others, he's just angry and he's waiting to whack you. Uh, Maybe somebody thinks of God as a heavenly butler and they think that, you know, it's kind of like, hey Siri, hey Alexa. I probably triggered some of your phones just then. (laughs) Um, And when you need something, you go after God and when you get something, you shelve him again until you need something else. And that's a practical view that people have about God. And we could go on and on about the different ideas. But it's really important, therefore, that we think rightly about God. And Tozer goes on and says that we tend by secret law of the soul to move toward our mental image of God. So if you think God is all about the makes and the misses of your life, then you've probably reduced your life down to, well, I better just be a better person, or I better just be better than you, or I better be better than I used to be, and that I'm always getting better And that's a reduction of your life because that's not fatherhood, that's not children, that's not flourishing life. And if you have a flawed view of God, then you're probably going to have a flawed life. And I'm so glad, and you are too probably, that God didn't leave us on our own to figure out how he is and who he is. And so... He said, this is not going to be the greatest mystery of all lives. I'm going to make it real easy for you. And the way he did that was by putting Jesus on the planet and having a father-son relationship lived out so that we can see it firsthand. Jesus says 189 times in the four gospels, Father. God's a lot of things, and there's a lot of attributes about God, right? He's Savior, He's Lord, He's omnipotent, meaning He has all the power in the world. He's the judge, He's the He's the all the things. But the thing to know all these things through the filter to see it, the lens to interact with it through first is to see Jesus or see God as Father. And Jesus showed us that. That 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 here's how you pray. You don't pray, our judge who art in heaven, our our scorekeeper our um, righteous one he's he's a lot of good things not scorekeeper's not what he's up to by the way that was a bad placement of that he says our father so that we can know that we have one and that he is really good and that he has a holy name and Let your light shine before men that they would see your good works and glorify not your boss, not your ruler, not your king, not your Lord, but glorify your father because it's important that we see him as that and interact with him as that. And even in the Trinity, in the relationship of God, you have father, son, and Holy Spirit inside of God himself. And it's important for him um, to be that. Um, Otherwise, he wouldn't be that. And the need for a blessing from your father is hardwired into you and me from the moment that we start from, I mean, you look at a four-year-old and it's like, hey, it's summertime and we're going swimming. Hey, dad, watch me do this backflip off the side of the pool. I might hit my head. It might look really bad. It's probably going to be a big splash. I might do a a cannonball in the end, but so long as you're watching, it's going to fill my cup. And if you're not watching, you're gonna hear this soundtrack replay about 18 times. Daddy, watch, daddy. Daddy, watch me. Watch me, daddy, daddy. And finally, dad's like, okay, you know, hang on. Okay, I'm watching. And they go into the water and they come up and the second they come up, they don't even wipe water out of there. wanna we'll make sure you saw it. Because if you didn't see it, we're, re- we're redoing it again. Because daddy, watch me. And this doesn't go away either. This stays with us on into life. To have the affirmation and the approval and the attention and all these relational needs we, we continue to have them. Dad, are you going to make the piano recital? Are you going to be able to see the tournament? Are you going to be able to participate in this? And, you know, did you catch that? Hey, what do you think about that? It's God's design that it worked that way. And if you don't have that, there's a gap. If you haven't had that, then there's been a gap in your life because the, the need uh, for Father's blessing is essential in us, and yes, it can be filled in by a coach, perhaps, or a teacher, or another family member to some degree, um, but the, there's a blessing of dad that needs to happen inside of every single one of us, or we're really not as complete as we were intended to be, and that's, I think, what I want to say today. I think most of us maybe have, have, have known that or been close enough to that to imagine that that's probably the case, and if you hadn't had that, maybe you're extra in touch with that. Jesus had it and when he was baptized, you think about his very baptism, he comes to the Jordan and he's baptized by John and then the heavens actually opened up and you see this any gap that would have ever been there if he didn't have the blessing of his dad completely go away because he says, God does, this is my son. He doesn't say this is my servant. He doesn't say this is you know, the one who is gonna accomplish everything that, that I have planned for him to do. He doesn't lead with that. He leads with this is my boy, this is my son in whom I am well pleased, and I want all of you to know it. It's as public as can be. You know, they said it sounded like thunder coming from the sky, God's announcement of blessing on Jesus, and it, and it wasn't on the heels of performance. It wasn't that Jesus had done anything yet. He hadn't, you know, walked on water that we know of. I mean, if he was water walking, we didn't have recorded, you know, story of it, at least. Uh, he hadn't, you know, turned water into wine. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't healed the sick yet. Already, God was saying, hey, I want to send you into your ministry with the blessing already, not. You go do the ministry, and if you hit the accolades, then I'll give you the blessing. But in our mind, and especially if we haven't experienced the the nature of good father in our life, then we do live from striving, and we do say, hey, I got to make enough splash in the water and earn enough so that I can catch some attention so that people can say, oh, do you know so-and-so? Boy, they are killing it. They are really something. And you start to condition yourself to get blessing based on what you do. But Jesus just, I mean, they completely punted that and said, no, the blessing is just from Father. If, if there's a Father in the room, thank you very much, then a blessing can be yours, and now you get to do everything that you do from this place of strength, of Father blessing in your life, you know. And so, 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 so Jesus has that in store for you, and he desires you to have the Father blessing, whether you had an earthly dad who gave it to you or not. So Jesus is showing us how to have a relationship with justice or a relationship with eternity or sovereignty or, or any other attribute of God. It's really important. And so if it's so important to see God as father and to interact with him as such, then what do you think is the thing that might be under attack in our world today? We're known, you know, as the fatherless generation, And it's really not by accident because it's the intention of the enemy to say, well, if it's that important that God would make sure that the people he loved and created know him as father, then it's the thing I'm going to go after and try to crack. See if I can break it. See if I can attend. How am I gonna do that? What's my strategy? Well, my strategy is gonna be see if I can't break the relationship between earthly dads and their children. Because if I can get that thing cracked, then it's gonna be potentially really hard for that child to then view God as the father when their only experience with father has been this cracked one. And so he's like, let's target that. And we see the implications of that right and left. So many of the problems can all be traced down globally in our world to the fact that there wasn't a dad who closed the gap down and gave the father blessing to the person who's now making whatever obscenities that they're making. And the enemy knows that if he can crack that, then he can get ahead of the game. But we're here to say not so with us. And that we don't have to be labeled the fatherless generation, even if our story has been fatherlessness. That we can actually be the fathered generation who, who actually can export that and impart that to the people that we are in sphere of influence with around us. And I mean your sphere, your contagious pool is much larger than you knew. People are more desperate and they're more hungry to know God as father than you ever thought they could be and you're just the one to help them and to demonstrate it. And you start by knowing God personally, yourself as father and making that a place of strength in your life to where that is secure in you so that we don't see the fallout everywhere else we go from fatherlessness. I love the story that, Um, tells uh, about fatherlessness, and it's in nature, actually, but it's a great picture of the reality of where we live, but in uh, the 1980s, in Kruger Park in Africa, the largest game reserve, there were tons of, I know you guys, some of you guys have heard this, uh, Chris Vallotton tells the story, but, but it, it, the ecologist in Africa in the 80s, they, they realized they had a problem on their hand and there were too many elephants the, and it was a large game reserve. Lots of animal, but there was overrunning the, the area and they had to fix it, so they thought, so they intervened. The, um, the ecologists that were on site there, the conservationists and things, and so they decided we got to move some of these elephants from Kruger Park and put them in Pillensburg, another reserve park, but it didn't have any elephants on it, so it had room for the elephants. And so they got these big harnesses and they got these big helicopters, but they realized they couldn't lift the big bull mature elephants because they were just too big, couldn't get them airborne. And so they said, well, the next best thing then will be just to take the cow elephants and, uh, and the younger uh, male elephants, the bulls, and we'll just take them because we can, we can actually lift them and we can put them over there. So they did that. They thought they solved the problem of it being overrun until the white rhino turned up dead. And all of a sudden, all these white rhinoceroses were, were, were dead, but there was no marks in them from gunshot wounds, so it wasn't poachers. They thought it was poachers, because the white rhino, you know, is normally gone after for the horn, and, 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 and so they said, well, it can't be poachers, so what is it? And they finally learned it was these young male elephants that aren't typically aggressive to other Animals, now around the water hole, there's some aggressive nature, you know, they'll see, but by and large, these elephants aren't aggressive, and so they said, this is really outside the boundary of what we've seen as normal, what's the precedent for this? And so these young elephants started to get into must way early, now must is, you know, the condition that the elephant gets in when it's time to reproduce, and so it gets aggressive, and it wants to, you know, fight off anybody else that might be a threat, But normally, when there's older, you probably know where we're going with this, when there's the older mature bull elephants there, then they come face to face with the younger bull elephant, and the younger bull elephant knows its place and says, I'm no match for you, mister. And so they're knocked out of must really fast. And so what was happening in Pillensburg now was that these elephants were coming into must much more often and staying in it way too long. And all this testosterone now was killing and goring these white rhinos. And they realized, we got we to gotta fix this. And so the big bull elephants over here in Kruger Park still, they ended up tranquilizing them because they couldn't lift them. And they, uh, they actually put them in these really big vehicles. They said that was a big thing. There's a documentary on the whole thing. And they took them back over here to Pillensburg. And they said, within a matter of days, the white rhino killing stopped and these young bull elephants would get back out of must just like that. And here's the way the ecologist actually wrote it in the actual documentary, in the actual report. He said, the mature bull elephants began to teach the younger elephants how to be elephants again. Oh my word. And so you look at a picture of humanity, and you realize that when fathers are absent, that the young that are coming up behind who don't have that don't know how to be children what do they know how to be orphans they know how to scratch and claw they know how to fight their way to the front because they're not sure anybody else is taking care of them they don't know how to be and so this is the picture that we've seen and it's the thing that the enemy has gone after because he's like if god is father then i gotta somehow squelch that and on father's day 2023 we're waking up to the fact that this is not the way it has to be There's a lot of kind of dads in our world, but I think you can break them down into a couple of categories. And it's possible, as I mentioned some of these, it might be pulling a Band-Aid or something off for you. And I don't want to be insensitive, and I certainly want healing and, and health to come, but it's possible that we might have had a bad experience with an earthly dad, and you just kind of ignored it and covered it up, and God might be wanting to bring some attention to bring healing so that you can be healed in the area of fatherhood. But here's the first type of dad that we see is the absent father. Many of you currently have an absent father. And he might be absent simply because um, he's not alive on the planet anymore. And he's gone on already. And so you had him for X number of years on the planet, but now he's passed. And so you, it, it's an absent father. Now you don't have to stay there. You have your memories, like Steve was saying. There's not a month that goes by that I don't thank the Lord for my time with my dad and that I miss him. And that's right and that's good. And God fills in the gaps because he's the gap closer on this thing. You might have an absent father because of divorce or dysfunction or disinterest um, could be in your story. Uh, So a dad that's not present in your life um, is simply uh, an absent father. And if it stays that way to where you live in absence, then you might be missing out on God's best for your life and the gap is bigger than it needs to be. And God wants to close that down today because he's not absent The second type of father that we see is an abusive father. The abusive father didn't bless you. But not only did he not bless you, he actually caused harm to you. And where he should have been helping you and healing you and inviting you into riches of life, he actually was inflicting you and causing harm to you, Uh, maybe verbally, maybe physically, maybe emotionally, but, but putting injury on your life. And for some of us, that could be in our story behind us where we're coming from, man, I, I had not an absent father. He was very much there, but it was an abusive situation. Number three, there's performance-based fathers. And this kind of dad said that he would bless you. You can get the blessing, but it's going to come on the heels of what you can do and how you perform. And if you can turn that back flip off the edge of the pool correctly, if you can get a degree, if you can make the grade, if you can have the accolades, and... Everything was conditional. You you had to jump through the hoops if you wanted the hug. it was gonna be because of some task that was brought on. And if you didn't, you got something else. And you knew with your dad it was always performance. It was always a performance event. And you were always gonna get loved or not get loved based on how you did. That's the performance-based father. And that could be in some of our stories. The fourth type is the passive father. This father's in the room, but he's sort of a non-factor. He's not taking any initiative, and therefore, he's not really in the story. There's no leadership. There's no initiative from the passive dad. He's not stepping up to be the man God created him to be to lead. Maybe he never had an active dad in his life, and so he's simply mirroring what was shown before. In fact, I think that's the case in probably most of these categories. Maybe somebody else in the family put him in his place, and he just decided to stay there. It's probably best I just stay in the place that I was put Maybe he's speaking up, but he's certainly not speaking into your life, and so you don't know what it's like to have a dad speak into your life because of passive dad. He's there, but he's not giving you what you need. You're aware that we all have needs, and it's not wrong to have needs. We've got needs. We talk a lot about this in this house, actually, and those needs are God-given, but there's ways for them to get met in healthy ways that slingshot you into your destiny. Then there's the antagonistic father. And this is a complicated one as we see the culture turning over and over again. This is the kids that didn't have dads now having kids themselves and they're simply reproducing. You know, you've heard the term babies having babies. And so here they are and the antagonistic dad is really more concerned with his own development still because he's still developing. He's still trying to grow himself. So if here you are as the child wanna make a mark in the world for the kingdom of God, you're gonna have to get around your dad to do it because he's the one who's in competition with you. And he's the one who's kind of elbowing you back and, and shoving you back down your place rather than propping you up. And that could be in our story for some of us to have had an antagonistic dad. But the sixth kind of father is the empowering father. And a lot of us had this dad. A lot of us had a dad in our life who wasn't perfect because nobody's dad is. But he is the one who loved you and he knew it. And whether you did anything or not to earn it, the love of the father was known to you. And if you were at your best, he told you he loved you. And if you were at your worst, it didn't change that. He still said the words and showed the demonstration of love to you. This is the empowering father. He was dependable in your life. And I just kind of envisioned this empowering dad coming down the hallway at night to tuck the kids into bed. And he gets the first child's room and it's the the youngest and he says hey sweetheart and he says it just loud enough so the rest of the house can hear you're my favorite you know I love you the most you're the baby you're so special I mean you have captured my heart and I love you the most and everybody in the room is smiling because they know dad's on their on his way to their room and he goes down the hallway and he says hey champ how you doing you're my son In whom I'm well pleased, I love you more than your sisters. You know that, right? I mean, you have muscles. You have, you know, pizzazz. You've got it. You've got the it factor. You're gonna go places. I can't wait to cheer you on. You're my favorite. I love you. And then the oldest is at the end of the hallway knowing it's her turn next. And so here he comes down the hall and he's like, hey, baby girl, you're my firstborn. And you are the most special one of all. I have never seen someone so special as you. I love you the most and the whole house is lifted up because they have the individual love of the father, but they also know that the family has the father's love and has the father's intention, and he's empowering all of them to stand on his shoulders so that they can go somewhere, so that they can go far, and it's a lift that happens in your development, in your growing. Some of us had an empowering father. Others of us have not had that on earth, but Father God can in as much reality be an empowering father for you as the person who had the earthly empowering father. Do not think for a minute that it's second rate, that you are having to play catch up, that it's some sort of a substitute. You get to be empowered just like anybody else who's had the empowering earthly father. That's how real and tangible God is. And I will say this too, there are surrogate fathers in this room who can fill in the gaps that have been made big by not having an empowering father. And they're all around. And this dad isn't a pushover, by the way. Empowering dad, he's not a pushover. I mean, uh, that was passive dad over here who didn't like conflict. He doesn't like boundaries, doesn't like perimeters, doesn't like to speak up and say what needs to be said at the time, you know. Uh, Passive dad over there, he thought he was being loving by just sweeping things under the rug and letting things go and saying, hey, you know what, you do what you want because that's probably what love looks like. No, empowering dad, he says, hey, I'm going to do this and it could hurt a little bit, but you're going to thank me for it later, to which you said in your dreams at the time. And then you started raising a kid of your own and you're like, hey, I got a three-year-old, Terror. Thank you, Dad, for teaching me the ways that he should go, that I should go, because now it's helping me take him in the ways he should go, and oh, we need him to go in those ways. And can I just say that all of us wanted that. Growing up, all of us desired that. All of us imagined for that, at least. And even kids are smart enough to figure out that if you are putting me at unhealthy risk, Uh, You're making me wonder if you really love me. Why why do you keep putting me at unhealthy risk and letting me go too far, far? Fatherhood is on our planet in this generation. It's cracked in areas. And there have been so many people who have gone to a church meeting. They've heard a good message. They've sang some really rich songs But then they heard that the way we interact with God is as Father, and they said, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I can go there. I can play some of the role. I can go through some of the motions, but to actually interact with God as Father because of my past, because of my story, that would be really difficult. And what I wanna say is that God is not simply a reflection of your earthly father. He is actually the perfection of your earthly father. He's not just a, a bigger version of your dad. He's actually the perfect version of your dad. And he'll never stop being that, and he's that for anybody who wants him to be. Psalmist says in Psalm 68:4, it says, sing to God, there's an idea, sing praise to his name, extol him who rides on the clouds. He's a cloud rider, maybe that's God's kingdom calling. He's got a lot of them. His name is the Lord, and rejoice before him. He's a majestic and a powerful God. This God is riding on clouds, hello? Not like the Care Bears, but I mean like, the, the, he's a cloud rider, <laughs> And he's not some tiny thing. But this big and majestic God chooses to be noble in a very personal way with us. And then the scripture says in verse five, he's actually this this cloud rider. He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows, is God in his holy dwelling. And God sets the lonely in families and he leads forth the prisoners with singing. If you're feeling lonely today, the answer for your loneliness is family. And Father God is running the family. And you have a place at the table of God in that family. So God is in a fatherless context. He's, he's in a real broken world situation. And he's saying that nobody has to live fatherless, even in your surroundings, even in the place, in the, in the age of time you live in. You don't have to live fatherless just because the fatherless generation is what's been said over you where you live No one has to navigate this life without Father's blessing. He says, I'm choosing to ride on clouds to bring myself into a relationship with humanity and with you because I want to be a father to you. And if you're coming to this place this morning and saying, you know, I can relate to broken relationships and disappointment. I can relate to being walked out on. I can relate in a real way to being... uh, the, the, the subject of disinterest I can relate to those things then I'm telling you that God's actually moving towards you this morning he's pulling you closer to himself because he wants to wrap these father arms around you in a real way that actually changes your belief system going forward and in Matthew 7 here's the answer you saying, okay if that's true what do I do how do, I, how do I see God as Father? How do I interact with him as that? How my life changed if I've had this trashy earthly past with Dad, and you're saying this great opportunity is ahead of me for relating with Father? How does that happen? How do I get there? And here's the answer in Matthew 7. It's real profound. It actually is. Ask. If you ask for it, you're going to get it. God's not gonna withhold himself from you. It will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door's open. You've heard this before. Everyone who asks receives. And if you seek, you find. He's like, how many ways can I say it? To him who knocks, the door's gonna open. Not maybe, not conditionally, not performance-based. The door's coming open if you ask. And you may be thinking, I don't know if I can step into this because this is such a pain point for me. But I love that Jesus' great promise is actually, the answer is in such a small step to just ask for it. God, if you really can open up a door, then I need you to open up a door, amen. There, there it is, there, there, there was the ask. And God's like, that's what I'm after. I want, I want you coming towards me. I'm coming towards you, respond and come towards me with a question, and I'm gonna blow the socks off of your life with my response to how I can father you. And in Matthew 7, 9, he says, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil because you're, you know, got the sinful propensities in you, know how to still give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven, who is not evil, give good gifts to those who ask him? Oh my word, so much more. And I know that as we're discussing this today, some of you might be saying, hang on a second. My dad actually did give me a stone when I told him I was hungry. I'm like, dad, we're hungry. He's like, well, go Go get some popcorn, I don't know, go take care of it yourself. I don't want anything to do with that. And you're like, I, that's not just a metaphor. I, he gave me a snow, he threw a snake at me. I mean, you, you should see you know, where I came from and with my dad. And for a lot of us, that's real. But for all of us, at least in our imagination, our parents started with an intention to hopefully at the very least give us what we needed. And I wanna tell you this, your imagination, by the way, is God-given. A lot of times I think we think that imagining something is make-believe, that it's just childlike. And I wanna tell you that your imagination is one of your greatest tools in your tool belt. You imagine what it could be like. You say, what if I had a dad who sat on the end of my bed at the end of the day and said, hey, tell me about how that test in math went today. Tell me about how having to fire that person at work went today. How'd that go? How'd they respond? How'd you feel? Can I help? Can I just be here? Maybe it's quiet, maybe it's, maybe it's tender, maybe it's celebratory. All these things, we, we've at least imagined what that, What if I had a dad that actually did that? And God's saying, that imagination thing, that's from me. And I actually wanna take your dreams and take your imaginations, and I wanna show you how I can build on those to where they're not just pie-in-the-sky, tale, you know, untouchables, but that they're actually reality points that what you can imagine, as the scripture says, better than you can imagine, God's coming through for you. And I'm gonna ask believing that you're the how much more God that the Bible says you are. I'm gonna believe with a choice that what God wants to do is not just redefine our view of him from being some force in the sky or some old cosmic grandpa with candy in his pocket, but that he's actually a good father. I'm gonna to choose to shift my thinking and believe that about God, but he also wants to redefine how you see yourself. It's interesting here stir up a little theological debate, C.S. Lewis came a little bit in conflict with old A.W. Tozer's quote. When A.W. Tozer said, the most important thing about a person is what they think of God, C.S. Lewis said, I read in a periodical the other day that the fundamental thing is how we think of God. By God himself, it is not, he said. How God thinks of us is not only more important, but infinitely more important Indeed. How we think of him is of no importance except in so far as it's related to how he thinks of us. And you're like, oh, great. Now I got to pick between Tozer and Lewis. Thanks a lot. I want to tell you that it's actually yes and amen to both. That what you believe about God actually shapes what you think about yourself. And they are in tandem with each other. That if you can actually believe that God is a good father to you and has been all along, then all of a sudden you can take all those lies that you thought were your reality, that you weren't good enough, that it was your fault or something, and now say, oh man, I'm actually viewed by God like this. So how does God view you? Well, number one, he wants you to know that you're loved by him. You're like, that's what you got? That God loves me? You studied for a sermon and you came up with God loves you? All that time you had, oh my word, I went to Father's Day church and they told me that God loves me. I mean, isn't that like the obvious first step for every person to know that yes, God loves you? Okay, thank you very much. Could you elaborate a little bit more? I wanna tell you that if we had a light beam and could just kind of get outside of ourselves for a moment and there was a light beam that would shine down on every single person who doesn't feel loved by God, that we would be stunned by how many light beams we see around us. How many times people have said, well, my earthly dad walked out on me, was disinterested in me, and so I'm not so much you know, convinced that, that it is much different than that and that he really does feel this way about me. And I'm not sure if you ever had the conversation with your dad when the divorce happened and dad made sure that you knew, he did everything in his power to know it wasn't your fault. And he said, hey, mom and I, we're going through some hardship. We're going through some difficulties and um, doesn't look like it's working out for us. And maybe he even got down on his knee because you were, however old you were, and he looked you in the eye and he said, but I need you to understand something, sweetie. This is about mom and dad. This is not about you. But somehow, and even in the clearest form of communication, he knew how to say it. You heard in your nine-year-old brain or your 13-year-old brain or your 20-year-old brain or however old you were, this is my fault. This is about me. Somehow, if I hadn't have, then this wouldn't have. And, and oh my gosh, and, I've been, and you've been carrying this weight around that I'm somehow at fault. And that light might come down on many of us this morning and we need to understand that God wants to shine a different light on us today. God wants you to know deep down in your soul that you're loved by him and that it was not your fault. Your experience with your dad was not your fault. And sometimes receiving that, believing that, hearing that is the, is, is the step towards healing that you, that you might need to take today if you've been wearing that heavy blanket of, of blame 1 John 3, 1 says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called his children, children of God. That is what we are. I love that add on. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. There are people who didn't know that God is a good father over their life. What does lavish love look like? It looks like Jesus on a cross gashed for you so that his pain is actually, uh, he's taking on your pain in his pain, in his sacrifice, in his love, you can not have to wear the the weight of yours. And that's what lavish love looks like. And so you gotta see yourself as loved by God. Number two, God sees you as no longer a slave. To what? To your past. A slave to your fear. A slave to what's been dragging you, slowing your pace down because you're wearing, oh, I'm still enslaved. Romans 8 says, Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear, but you actually received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry out, Abba Father, the intimate phrase, Oh Dad, Oh Daddy. And so he's assuming that before the Holy Spirit came into you, there was fear in your life. Thank you very much. Sure, you live on the planet. But when the Spirit comes in, it's the Spirit of God that comes inside of you and actually cries out, I have a Father. That's salvation. Some of us thought that the fullness of salvation was just going to heaven when you die. Can I tell you that God didn't wanna give you a ticket to eternity and all the while you still experience the pain of slavery until you get there. If that's been your salvation experienced, I wanna tell you that it's not complete. If If the message that you're living, if the message that you're broadcasting is just, oh, hang on until heaven and I was born again just so I can go there when I die, I'm telling you there's more. And that you are invited to live out and to broadcast that I have a father and I'm no longer a slave to fear because I have a new spirit inside of me that cries out. The spirit himself, verse 16 says, testifies with my spirit that I am God's children. I belong, I'm not the lonely anymore. And then the third thing that I wanna tell you that God sees you as as I am a child of God. I am a child of his We've sang that song before, great song. I'm no longer a slave to fear. Oh, I am a child of God. He split the sea so I could walk right through. You're like, it's a great song. I love it. I get ramped up at that part. But then you go back to the, to the house. You go back to the darkness, and the cloud sets in again, and you're like, but I'm not sure I really believe it. I'll sing it. I'll sing it out loud, but do I really believe that I am a child of God? And I'm not talking about sweeping anything under the rug this morning, pretending like things didn't happen, but you don't have to live as a slave to the word divorce. You don't have to live as a slave to abuse or a slave to the pain. Those things don't define you. You don't have to live as if my decisions that I make are based on my experiences of of abuse or absence or performance-based dad. A lot of us, though, we just wrap up a, a wound and, and, and go on and hope it goes away. When I was in the third grade, I was on a swing set in the playground, and we always played soccer normally at, play, at recess, but the fields were swampy or something. We couldn't go to the area that we played soccer, and so I'm swinging on a swing set, and I remember this kid had a tape measure in his hand. You guys remember this? He was whipping me with the tape measure every time I came back. He was playing, but it was hurting and I was like, stop, I'm swinging. And you're getting as high as you can on the swing set. I mean, what's the point of swinging, right? It's not a leisure swing when you're in third grade. You're trying to get as high as you can so maybe you can turn the backflip or, or you know, clear the distance. So I'm swinging, and here comes the tape measure. And I thought, I'm gonna grab that tape measure out of his hand next time he does that and just yank it out of his hand. Smart idea. So sure enough, he whips me and I grab that thing and go to try to rip it and could look down the barrel of my finger as the skin just opened up, I put my hand in a fist and I made it as tight as I could and just blood, you know, coming out. And, and so got off the swing and ran to the teacher who about fainted. I said, I need some help. And she said, yes, you do. <laughs> I don't know if she ex- escorted me to the nurse or if I went on my own, but got to the nurse and, and uh, kind of a blur, as you can imagine, what, what might've happened. But anyway, somehow we got to the doctor and they got me to open up my, my hand, had to open it up. And I mean, I could just, yes yeah, see without being too graphic, I could see down and the thing needed to be closed up. And so I'd never had a stitch in my life before. And it wasn't a, a real wide wound, it was just severely deep. And so the doctor said it needs some stitches. And I mean, you wanna talk about assertive communication. No, we're not doing stitches. <laughs> I'm not letting you put a needle in an already sore spot on my hand to, th- to sew on it. Is there another way, doc? And probably somebody needed to just say, hey, your, your decision, your opinion probably doesn't matter so much right now. We're going to do what's best for you. But somehow I was loud enough and kicked and screamed and hollered. And the doctor said, well, we could just put a band, like a Steri-Strip, uh, butterfly, you know, tape it shut, basically. I'm like, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. And so they did. They put some Steri-Strips on it, and, and they said, but, it's not stitched. You're going to have to really be careful with this thing. I'm like, done. Not a problem. And I remember, like, even going to school, you know, every time I would forget about it or something, maybe open my hand up too fast, I could just feel that thing kind of re-pull. It was a bad, it should have been stitched up. Somehow, by the grace of God, the thing healed. And I have full use of my finger, no problems. But what I learned from that story was that there are things in our life that happen that we don't need to just wrap up and hope it goes away. There are things that happen in our life that we actually need to deal with, painful as they might be, and take care of so that we can get on with the betterness of of life that God wants for us to have. And some of us don't feel pain because we've gotten so proficient in self-numbing, You haven't felt pain in a long time because you swore you'd never feel hurt like that again because the wounds of a father are deep. And I want to believe today that you can have a perfect father, that you can take the pains of your past to the foot of the cross and you can say, hey, perfect father, here's what I had just wrapped up, but I want to actually unwrap it and get stitches if I need stitches, get a cast if I need a cast. I want to take care of what needs to be taken care of. And Jesus says, hey, I have bore the pain of your past. I've borne the pain of those who are disinterested about you. And you can find interest in me. And you can bear it at the cross of Jesus where all the pain was finished and taken. And you can walk in newness, restored, in the art of fatherhood and and, and childlikeness. Some of us are fathers, like Steve prayed a moment ago, but we have felt like we hadn't done a great job because the truth is we've never really been great sons because we didn't have a great dad in place for us to learn to be a great son. And so the whole thing has been knotted up in tangled mess. And Jesus is saying, hey, I have a blessing for you. We can untangle the knot and you can get off the shame and the fault that you've been wearing, and you can experience the fullness and the joy of fatherhood in a way today that will transform your life and bring healing to you. When Father's Day comes up, it's not a pain point of burden, it's actually a point of joy and strength for you. I just wanna bless this house with that today, bless you with fatherhood. And I'm telling you, you'd never not gonna have a scar maybe, but in place of where you used to have an open wound, it is a scar that tells the victory story that you now have. And that's so special. Yes, I was abandoned. Yes, I was walked out on. Yes, I was overlooked. I was disappointed over and over again, but I made it to my heavenly father. And he's confirmed in me that I am loved by him and that I'm no longer a slave of my past and that I'm absolutely a child of God. And so altar team is going to come up here this morning. Why don't you guys come up? And what I've asked them to do, I've asked them to deliver just a father's blessing because I believe that the gap is real. That if you have, even though maybe you've been in the mix a while and you've been singing the songs and you know how to be a believer in the church, but maybe you've never had a father tell you, hey, I'm so proud of you. I stand in the place of Father God this morning and say how pleased I am with you before you've ever done a thing. And I just sense the Lord saying, this will be really helpful for us. And so I just wanna invite you, these guys are gonna sing a song, we'll lower the lights down. But I wanna invite you to come and receive a Father's blessing and just find some of these guys and they're just gonna affirm in you, possibly meet some of the relational needs that you have, that I have, that says you're worth it. Even if you had a dad who told you some of these things, you still might come and get a refill because this is the heart of God for you. That he says, you're not a slave to anything that you've been wrestling with in your mind. So Father, I thank you, I thank you that you are the Father who knows all, who sees all, and still loves us. I thank you that you're the God that heals and that all we do is we deal. You heal and we deal we say, I'm gonna unwrap the wound that I've been having just wrapped up. Maybe it smells bad. Maybe it hadn't been treated. We're taking that off and we're gonna say, oh God, we receive a fresh touch from you, Father. I thank you for all of the people in here who are gonna have fatherhood as a place of strength for them. And even because they had a story that maybe looked otherwise, and now they walk in such strength, it's gonna be exponentially powerful, their sonship. So spirit of sonship, come. I invite you, church, just to to stand. In fact, why don't we all stand as we sing? And just at any time, just you might come up and say, I'd love a father's blessing. If you've got anything else going on that you want prayed for, these guys, they have words of hope for you, and they'd love to bless you with that. Let's give God our heart.